HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It is Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022, and we are coming to you from our studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn, in the backyard of Roberta's Restaurant. This is our 326th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a Fort Lauderdale-based chef and author and social advocate, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we'll have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is an idiom from my guest today's book, and it is, one one cocoa full basket, meaning success does not come suddenly, it takes time. Yes, we all must be patient with our careers and our lives, as it is true, nothing is instant. But with hard work and determination, we can achieve greatness. So let's remember to be willing to pay our dues, knowing that eventually great results will come from our good efforts. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm so thrilled to have my guest here with me in our studio. It is Suzanne Barr. She is a chef, restaurateur, and advocate for marginalized people in the food industry. Suzanne is based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and has a new book out entitled My Aki Tree, A Chef's Memoir of Finding Home in the Kitchen. It is a memoir, and it has some recipes. Suzanne is one of Canada's most respected chefs with a flair for fresh comfort food. She was previously the head chef and a partner at True True Diner, the owner of the popular Saturday Dinette, and inaugural chef in residence at the Gladstone Hotel, all in Toronto, Canada. Without further ado, hi Suzanne, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. It's really great to See folks enjoying some pizza on this beautiful day here. <laughs> yes, we're going to have to get some pizza. I it's think that's like a plan for sure. <laughs> a bonus of coming out here for sure. Definitely, definitely. So thank you for coming. And I mean, we, we've we met now in person. We, we met at the Philly Chef Conference a couple months ago. Yes, we did. So it's good to see you again. Yeah, I feel like our, um, you know, I, I we we had a very brief, like, but I don't know, inspirational conversation. It was quick. It was, you know, off the back of having a conversation with a fellow friend of ours and, you know, mutual friend, you're closer to her than I am, but like definitely we got a vibe. And I think that's a huge thing for me. It's like when I vibe with someone, I like to make sure that like keep those vibes going. So it's seeing you again and then connecting and finding out that you potentially could have been at the same conference that I was at later on in the year. But 
here we are in the studio, um, breaking bread at the table and having a conversation about this book. Yeah. Yes. No, it's great. I mean, we were talking about it pre-show, but I, I did miss that that second opportunity to see you as I did come down with COVID as it's been going around. But um, I'm so glad we have this opportunity now to connect and yeah. talk about your book and talk about your career, which as I've I've dived dove uh, dived into a bit um it's really quite impressive and fascinating but take us back a little bit to what got you into cooking and led you on this this career path yeah you know it's you know I I got here um, back in New York maybe a couple days ago and it's been you know a year since I was here and it's been about nine years since I lived here and walking the streets even just these past couple of days have been just like this constant reminder of like this is where like all the sweat all the blood all of that hard work really kind of started here in New York um you know I'll date myself take, taking me back to when I moved here back in 1996 and I was studying you know film and thought that that was my world and that life was was going to be a film and as much as I followed that path and it took me to a few cities in between and then eventually brought me back and then brought me to, you know, MTV working as a producer. Ooh. Um, <laughs> I think the biggest joy of being able to do the work that I do now is that food has always been the centerpiece for me. It has always been that driving force that has connected me back to not just my love for food, being kind of a, a growing up as a little bit of a fat kid, but you know, a lover of food that makes me feel good. Having the comfort of a meal, um, it was used as a soothing tool. It was also used to kind of forget some things, but also remind me that you know, my food and my love of food and my love of my culture is is so ingrained. It's in my it's in the stained in the wall. It's in my it's under my nails from the curry powder to, you know, the smell of of of, of just meat marinating like it's always kind of been with me. And, you know, living in New York and working as a chef in New York City, starting first in Brooklyn um, at a restaurant called A Bistro. For those that remember, it was out in Fort Green. Um, and then making my way into doing some private chef work um, and then exploring that whole world, which also will be another conversation for another day. But, you know, I think the culinary journey for anyone and your origin story is, you know, it takes me back to understanding that this was something I did not fall into. I chose to be a chef. Um, I know some people might have a story of understanding that, like, you know, they were just picking up a part-time job and then they ended up becoming a chef. But for me, I chose, this was a path I wanted to do. I didn't know how and where the path was going to take me. And I think that was kind of part of the joy. Um, and I'm pretty much like, not a planner, but I'm, I'm pretty intentional about the steps that I take. And I'm a risk taker. That's a big thing that I've, I've been told and I can actually kind of see about within myself now that I take risk and I don't ask for forgiveness. And I just kind of like you know, go with it and trust and kind of surrender to whatever, you know, comes my way. So, yeah. I love it. And I feel like I can identify with you so much. <laughs> just, I'm, I'm someone I say I'm a doer. Like I just do. I get stuff done. Um, go for it, which sounds like, like another, yeah, like what you're, what you're saying, you go for it. So, so explain or tell me between Florida, Canada, Toronto, like what brought you up to Toronto? Yeah, so um, being of West Indian background, if we know anything about colonialism, that we know that the that migration story is shared by many of, of folks that are part of, have been a part of the Commonwealth. So my family started in Jamaica. Our journey then took us to England, and then the journey then took us to Canada. Um, so my, my mom and my father met in Toronto, and my sister and I were born there. And upon, you know, living my first three years in Canada, we then migrated to the United States. So that's the connection to Canada and with all of my family members that still live there. So I have siblings, I have aunties, I have uncles, I have cousins. And I spent the last nine years of my life opening restaurants, running businesses, learning about myself, finding myself, and, you know, overcoming some of the most <laughs> incredible 
um, struggles and also, you know, learning about resilience and perseverance in a way that I hadn't really thought I would ever really understand or needed to understand. But um, all that to say that, yeah, that's the Canadian connection. And, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I've always, you know, growing up, you know, I grew up in South Florida, but people would say, well, where are you from? I'd say Canada. They're like, what? Like where polar bears come from? I'm like, yeah, no, no, not that part of, <laughs> not that part of Toronto. Are there black people there? Yes, there are black people there. There's a lot of us. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I mean, another, I guess, thing we, we have in common is I grew up in Miami. Oh, um, yes. I, but I've never lived in Canada, but I have visited. I've okay. visited, yeah. So, and I've been to Toronto and and Montreal. I've been a few places, and yeah. And um, so, what what were your what what was your experience like cooking there compared to cooking in I guess other places? Yeah, I mean, I've had the fortune to cook in uh, France. I've had the fortune to cook in um, Hawaii. I've had the fortune to cook in Los Angeles. Um, New also, York places oh. I have visited <laughs> so much in common. <laughs> um, you know, I think what's really unique and and really powerful about Toronto is, you know, and people really do say like, oh, it really is like this melting pot of people. And it's not so much as a melting pot. It's just it's a settled like we've so many people have settled there. So many people have, um, you know, moved, migrated there for whatever their purposes, whether it was fleeing their their home country, whether it was for more opportunities, whether it was for a, an open door with an open invitation. Why not? Let's be expensive for a family. Um, but the food in, in Toronto, the food in Canada is so it's just so it's so dynamic because what the natural resources there what you have access to there is some of the most incredible um, produce to to wildlife, to seafood, to to everything that you can imagine. Some of the most rarest fish to the most incredible berries. And that to me is really kind of drives like this seasonality of cooking and chefs there really understand like that that's a big part obviously with globalization we get everything just like everywhere in the world year round but canadian chefs we really honor the food that's native to that land um we do our part to to make sure if we are going to honor the food in the land indigenously we take homage to that what we pay a tribute in a way that really kind of connects us, you know, and, and I say that for myself because I really try to do that myself. And I have fellow chef friends that do the same, but, you know, the city just kind of shines, Toronto I'm speaking of, shines a light on just like also like future, you know, conversations about what, what trends. I mean, yes, trends are always what people are kind of forecasting for, but we kind of, you know, I find that the city kind of doesn't always follow those trends. They just kind of create their own, you know, uh, own experience online, much like what Montreal does, much like what Vancouver does, much like, you know, the Prairie, Nova Scotia, you know, East Coast. And, and it's like, you can go to any of these places at any time of the year and truly you are going to taste something so unique to that region and to that space in, in Canada that you'll, you won't be able to compare it to anything else. So I celebrate that. And, and it's really kind of great to be able to say that I've got a chance to cook in that, in that city in that country and honor, you know, all of that it gives and to be able to put it on a plate and serve it up to people. Yeah, it's wonderful. So what inspired you to write a book? <laughs> um, probably not to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I never thought I, I was, you know, I, someone asked me a question, like, did you always want to write a book? And I, you know, and I said, that, and I truthfully mean this, like, I, when I was back in like high school, I had a friend of mine um, and he and I, he was a graffiti artist and my dad had a book bindery company. So he would bind magazines and, and books and flyers and things like that. So, you know, he and I just started to chat about like, he's like, yeah, I want to like make a book. And I was like, yeah, my dad can like bind it. Like, let's do it. <laughs> so the first like book that I was a part of was called uh, The Funk Files. And it was like this little like zine that we put together. And I think always in the back of my mind, I, I thought like, okay, a cookbook, traditional cookbook, that's for sure. And my, and my forecast, like people loved our first restaurant, Saturday Dinette, that they were like, when is the cookbook coming out? We want to, you know, experience those recipes. And we never made that happen. But 
when we presented myself and Suzanne Hancock, my co-writer, uh, co-author, she and I presented the book proposal to Penguin Random House. They ate it up. They were like, this is great. This sounds awesome. Afro-Caribbean cookbook, da 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 this is cute, but we want more. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, what does that mean? You want more? Like, I, I, there's a hundred recipes. Like, seriously? And they were like, you have more of a story that we want to hear. We want to hear where you came from, how you came to be, what was your journey? Because we know you have something to say. And I was like, oh, shit. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's like not what I had planned. Like, that's like a lot more work because that's like going deep into my own personal like closet of trauma and, 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 and joys and, and, and uncertain stories and unclear and patching together things that I had heard through, through cousins and through aunties and uncles of like, this is what happened. No, this is what happened. So it was interviewing. It was having conversations with my siblings, with my aunts and uncles and cousins and trying to remember stories of my mother, trying to imagine stories of who my great grandmother was finding photos that would unlock some of these these stories and some of these truths. And then it was a part of me to be able to then tell my story, which was then like how I how I found this like this new trajectory and how this awesome, incredible opportunity came to me at such a time in my life, you know, meeting this angel investor and then plopping this whole new, you know, visual, you know, uh, opportunity for me. And it, it just kind of was like, um, not what I had planned, but so grateful to have been able to sit with Suzanne Hancock and put this on paper, document it. I know now that, you know, memoir is like, it's like the unraveling of yourself and the work and your, and your journey, but it's just, it's, you know, it's not a big book, but it's just also knowing that my book is not my whole life. Like my, my life is just kind of feeling like it's just beginning again, and again. Which is kind of cool to say because I know I have, you know, I'm not that old and I'm, I've got a dream ahead, many dreams ahead of me and I have a lot more to say. So just stay tuned. <laughs> more to come. Well, congratulations because I've been reading through it and you really, you really created a beautiful book and told your story. I don't, I mean, how, how like you did it, like you got it on paper and and it felt it's it's personal and it just shows and you know it 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 shares so much about about who you are and and um i love it i'm i think it's really really beautiful heartwarming book so thank congratulations you. thank you yeah you know it's it's kind of you know like i i used to say this a lot and, and my my sister was like you need to stop saying that i'm like I didn't know who would want to read my story. Like, what what was the significance of the importance of what I had to say? And she was like, you got to stop saying that. Like, that's, you know, like, that's not valid, you know, to anyone to hear that you lacked there or you didn't believe that you had something to say or that, that no one would want to read. Like, you know, I think that what is truthful about you, Suzanne, and, and you know, I'm saying this, kind of paraphrasing it from her, but is that that you just put yourself out there. Mm -hmm. You're not shy from showing your vulnerability and you're also willing to trust that whoever does purchase the book, buy the book, read the book, share the book, talk about the book, that they have gone on a bit of their journey with you and that, you know, that part of this, this you know, this memoir is something that I'm, I'm happy to have. And then it's also like having this documented information about my family. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. You now have this and... And it's a real life living, living thing. Yeah. Um, or it's a, I don't know. It's not living, but you know what I mean? It's there. It's here. We have a, a hard copy. Yeah. And it's got a couple of recipes. And I hope I got the, the idiom right there. Yeah, you did. I don't know. They're all, every chapter you had a, a little different one with, you know, from sprinkled with, yeah, I guess your, your Jamaican roots. Yeah. Um, you know, the idioms are, you know, for us, it's kind of like those old wise tales that you heard growing up being passed down maybe there's many versions to the same kind of idiom mm -hmm. but these proverbs are kind of like you know a bit of the ancestors reminding us that there's way more than what we think that's ahead there's way more than what we th what that we're what we're experiencing 
and to not take everything so complete and, and, and serious and to know that there's a, you know, a lot of this has already been laid out for us and that someone, you know, has, 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 is on this journey walking and then they're still with us. And so that for me was really important to set the tone with each chapter so that, you know, I brought a little bit of my ancestors, a little bit of my culture, my heritage into play and to remind people that like, at all times, we can always reflect back to the past to be able to figure out how we're going and where we're going in our future. And um, yeah, I yeah. think that's really important. And why did you decide to call it My Aki Tree? <laughs> um, I'm giggling on that because that was actually not the name. That was a very last minute change for my publishers because we originally had the name um, Homecoming. And when they started testing it, um, they started listening out to other novels that were coming out around the same time as mine. There was another one that was coming out, same name. And a lot of people had read the book and then they were like, they read the pre-screener uh, and they were like, this this title doesn't fit. And so I remember getting off the phone and thinking, I don't even know what where to start. Like we had landed on this title for like well over a year. And here we are now in the 11th hour trying to figure out a new title. And you know, we talk about Aki as being the national fruit from Jamaica. We talk about Aki being this, you know, connection, this immediate connection to me and my my cultural um, heritage. Um, not growing up, not living in Jamaica ever as a child, going back once, twice, three times for weddings and things, and, and to be shown this, this country that my mother and my father were both born in, and then to be able to now call the book this it just it felt very fitting it felt very very like just on par and on point with like this is like acknowledging like this is my Aki tree this isn't you know just um a Aki tree this is my Aki tree and um yeah I feel like it fits <laughs> it does it it very much does and I'm glad you yeah that had to have been a bit stressful trying to come up with a new title, it but was. you did it. You came up with a great one. Yeah. So let me ask you my question from my last guest on episode 325. I had on Aisha Nurjaya. She's the executive chef and partner of Shuka and Shukat, which are both in New York City, fabulous restaurants. Amazing. And she's the culinary director also of the group, um, Bowery Group as the, the main group of both those restaurants. So she's a busy awesome. lady. Awesome, yes. And she is awesome. And she wants to know, how did you make the transition from being a chef to a community leader? How did that happen? And did you, and she also added, did you start attending events, holding them at your restaurant? And she's asking because she wants to see many chefs, including yourself, may want to do the same. Yeah, you know, I... I feel like for maybe some chefs, they might have this visual in their head of if I'm opening my own restaurant or if I'm taking this lead position that I'm just going to focus on the work. I'm going to have wicked food, incredible team, great intention, happy customers, and do that. And we did that at our first restaurant in our second and you know the third and the fourth project that I've, I worked on. I... You know, my activism, my advocacy work took me back to when I attended the Million Women's March many years ago and hearing Maxine Waters speak um, on the megaphone to a sea of women and telling us, our, sharing with us that we are all similar and we have this incredible opportunity to, to know our worth and we have our voices and we have our hands and we have our feet and our thighs and our legs and our backs and the ancestors and everyone that walks with us to be able to continue to make change. So I remember leaving at like the age of 20, this is even before I decided to become a chef, that this part of me of being a change maker was like almost kind of like anointed in me. And then as, you know, opportunities shifted from leaving film and television to then going into the culinary arts, you know, I, as a black woman in the in an industry that we are not always given the promotion, we are not always given the keys to our own restaurant, we are not always given money to open our own restaurant, we are not always seen as value other than maybe just a warm body in the kitchen. I didn't want that. I 
wanted something to bring to not just a, a space, but I wanted to be able to make folks feel like they can be a part of that. So by by ways of, you know, each one teach one was like a big thing for me. So I immediately Im Im implemented a program where I worked with a lot of nonprofit organizations in Toronto that were helping, uh, that were like work training programs to train young women that wanted to get into industry but didn't have the experience or the knowledge and that didn't go to culinary school. And so I connected with them as a new business and we were able to work together to find placement for some of the young women into our kitchen. This program was eventually called the Dinettes program and this was something that we started at our restaurant and this was something that then blossomed into working with other nonprofit organizations. Um, you, um, the Mission Street uh, group in Toronto, to uh, the YWCA, to um, the Massey Center. These are all places that I made a conscious effort to go in person, introduce myself, cook for them, tell them who I was, what I was trying to do. And I think it's it's a personal mission for myself um, to be able to like just share my mission, share my vision, share my story and, and being able to like let more folks and more women, let more folks of color see like, yo, I'm here, I'm doing it. You can too. Let's go. Let's work. Let's build up. Let's, let's, you know, you need an, an in. I, I don't have a placement, but you know what? I have a friend that has a restaurant down the street that's actually looking for employment. You should go. You don't even need to bring your resume go down there, go talk to them, do a little quick stage, whatever. So these are the type of these are the type of intentions and this is the type of community activism that we were all about. We hosted uh, spag nights, which was just like a big pot of spaghetti. We invite people to come. It was five dollars <laughs> a plate. It. You hungry, come eat. Um, you know, we were really always trying to, we were doing a lot of in-person events. We were doing many fundraisers for children's-based organizations, for hospitals, for whatever. I think that is who I am as an advocate. It's, it's, it's as important as me being a chef. As, and even if you strip away this title of being a chef, I will find a way to continue to be an advocacy. I, you know, I work with the UN. I, you know, I work with all these organizations, the um, Chef Manifesto, and all of these things are really, really in, important for me because... I know that as change makers, like people are looking to, for inspiration, not just on the plate, but people want to see and and what happens after that place is cleared and finished and licked, and every knife is and fork has crossed and every piece of morsel. Now what's next? And this is what's next is that we can build a better conversation. We can build a better opportunities in in the hospitality industry by being able to share and open our doors and share and open our, our voices and our experiences. And don't be ashamed to not talk about if you need help, if you are you know uncertain about how do I get involved? How do I take the first step? First step is just asking, you know, it's inquiring. And I have, you know, I've continued to do that. I'm now back in the United States working in South Florida and my work will continue in South Florida as well. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you're you're so passionate and you're a beautiful speaker. I mean, you're you really are. And uh, I know we're going to be hearing more from you. And it's exciting. Um, I was just as my final question before we take a break and ask what, what are you up to now? So you're going <laughs> to stay in South Florida. Are, any plans you want to open a restaurant? You know, <laughs> write another book. <laughs> Definitely another book. Okay. Um, you know, that's that's a for sure uh, thing. I think, you know, because my, my background started in film and television, you know, there is still a very dear love of, you know, instead of me being behind the camera, maybe this is an opportunity, maybe I get in front of the camera. So there is some stuff bubbling. I'm very excited to like announce that when it when I can be announced of something that's coming down for the new year, next year. Um, working with an incredible team of very, very talented female producers that already, already people know their work. And my writing partner and I have have actually uh, joined forces continually. We're now, we're working at, we have a production company. So ah, cool. we want to continue um, to tell uh, femme stories uh, in food. 
we want to be able to do it through radio, through visual, through photography, through um, salons and conversations. And I think that I want to be a, a beacon. I want to be a patron. I want to be a part of that. And I want to help the industry in the U.S. I've, I feel like I've done a lot in Canada and I am not looking to stop. Still quite busy in Canada, but I'm also looking to make some impact here in the U.S. as well. Fantastic. <laughs> and on that note, let's take a little break. We'll come back. We'll play my speed round, talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. You've heard me talk about Diageo Bar Academy now for some time on this podcast. Diageo Bar Academy is a totally free resource for bartenders, bar managers, and those in the hospitality industry. Whether you are an experienced bartender looking for new inspirations and trends, or you are just starting out, Diageo Bar Academy online courses offer real-life skills to help you grow in your career. They are always free, interactive, and some of the advanced courses take even less than 30 minutes to complete. E-learning courses cover everything from skills and techniques to improving guest experiences and serving responsibly. Visit DiageoBaracademy.com to build your skills with Diageo Bar Academy e-learning and master classes. Made for newbies and bar professionals at every level, it's time to focus on taking your career to the next level. Visit DiageoBaracademy.com to become a member today for instant access to its global bar community. Again, that's diageobaracademy.com, D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Must be 21 or over, please drink responsibly. Thank you. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Suzanne Barr. She's a chef author and social advocate who's based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And her book, which is out, is entitled My Aki Tree, A Chef's Memoir of Finding Home in the Kitchen. So Suzanne, it's time for my speed round. All right, let's go, let's go. All right, you're going to... Um, yes, sensei. You're ready, you're ready, you're ready. ready you're ready. Um, I'm going to name a couple things. You get to pick your preference. Okay. But, so All right. my example is chocolate or vanilla. Okay, 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 okay. okay. Got it, got it. Okay, here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? Eat out. (laughs) (laughs) Indoor dining or alfresco dining? Alfresco. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Champagne. Always. Always. Tasting menu or a la carte? Tasting menu. Small plates or large plates? Large plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Ooh, depending on the night. I'm going to say today I'm feeling a little bit of a communal table. All right. I like it. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? All-inclusive. We need to get rid of tipping. Gotcha. A couple more. Writing stories or writing recipes? Can I say both? Sure. There's no rules. No rules. Peppa shrimp or oxtail patties? God damn. I'm, <laughs> and I'm hungry. I'm going to... Let's go with... With this weather, let's say oxtail. All right. I yeah. want them both right now. <laughs> okay, my last two are cheese plate or dessert. I'm going to say both. <laughs> Manhattan, Brooklyn, Fort Lauderdale, or Toronto? Oh, uh, that's not fair. Uh, I didn't say it was a fair game. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's not fair. Oh, it's really good to be back in Brooklyn, man. Like, in my heart, it just... But today, I think I'm going to say... Fort Lauderdale. I miss my son and my husband. That's a good, good reason. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Next time I'm down <laughs> Miami, too, I'm thinking I come up to Fort Lauderdale and we'll have to go to dinner. Definitely. Definitely. I got, like, a few spots. Yeah. Definitely. Actually, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've got some spots, but I need to go to uh, Timon Ballou's place, the Catherine. I don't know if uh, you've been there yet. That, 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. He's a friend. He's awesome. He's awesome. He's been on the show. I'm going like this, like not this week before I leave to go out of town next week. I, and that's been like my, on my top. It's because it's not far from my house. Yeah. Well, oh, amazing. Say hi to him for me. He's, he's, he's wonderful. Oh, sweet. And I'm, his wife. I'm, yeah. That's a definite. They're wonderful people. Okay. Definitely. And, and great, great chef. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't, that's, yeah. We that's could either so go there random. or else you'll, you'll no, have to we'll, take we'll me We'll go there out. again. We'll yeah, go there yeah. again. For Show sure. me around town. <laughs> um, very cool. Okay. So speaking of Florida, um, for industry news, I picked out an article that came out last week in the Miami Herald. 11 Miami restaurants earned Michelin stars and one spot earned two. Here's the list. It was by Connie Ogle. Um, and also Eater Miami had, they mapped out the stars on their map of the Miami ones. Um, so this is the first time Michelin is in Florida <laughs> and it's in, it's covering three of the cities, Miami, Orlando, and Tampa. Um, 10 of the one star were in Miami. Um, and the two star, um, which they gave one to, um, went to, uh, where is it here? Oh, the, the Ati. Atelier de Joel Rubichon, design district. Yeah. Um, haven't been to that one. I've been to his, his place in New York City, but yep. um, I think it's you know exciting for Miami and Florida to to get some accolades. Do you have a take on this? <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> you're laughing. Maybe your take's different than mine. <laughs> I, I'm only laughing because I I literally had a very similar conversation because Michelin just came to Toronto. And I was um, a reporter from the Globe and Mail reached out to me um, a few weeks back to get my my thoughts on it. And this is where I stand with it. Like, I think it's incredible for any restaurant to get accolades and get to get celebratory um, awards and recognition for the hard work that every individual and every component of making a restaurant what it is. It's not just the food. It's not just the drinks. It's not just the glassware. It's not just, it's the every, it's every single part. Where I felt that I was kind of like shy of joy with Michelin coming to Toronto is why now? And what is, what is the intention behind such a prestigious award and an organization? And how can they impact and help shift some of the conversations that are fundamentally still happening and not being just dis- dis- like like just broken down in the industry to help you know like we saw the the creation of many organizations um, to help save restaurants during the beginning of the pandemic we are still fighting to keep doors open whether it's a small mom and pop uh, a, a major franchise a, a major restaurant group how can this organization, like any major organization, James Beard House, Michelin, San Pellegrino, like any of these major, that best of 100, how can they help to, they've got the money, they got the prestige, they've got all of that. People are still fighting to be a part of this, but we, we still, as a, as, a, as, a, as a community, as an industry, are suffering. Like we're still like not, ahead. We're not making still right steps. We still have tipping in restaurants. We still don't have healthcare. We still don't have these fundamental things that other industries have and are, are, are either still trying to work out, but there's no balance. There's no insight. Like there's no future of, uh, is this going to change tomorrow? Is this going to change the next day? I don't know. And so that's why I, I, I don't laugh with like, ha ha ha, but I laugh with like, what is the intention? And can we really utilize these major awards. Yes, I want a Michelin to be at whatever restaurant. Every every restaurant should get a, a Michelin. But what about the restaurants that will never be able to see that, that aren't working towards that type of pedigree, but the restaurants are just trying to keep their doors open. The restaurants that have been there have be- become institutions that are, are there for communities, that are there, that is a different type of, of, of restaurant experience. But is it any less worth than a restaurant that has 
a creme of the creme that has a budget to to do all these to have a, a team of a hundred working on a daily basis like I'm I'm kind of yeah. a little you know perplexed on the, the disparity of of still this wealth and this disappropriate of nature of how we're approaching our industry you know like it's great for Miami. There's a lot of money in Miami. There's a lot of people that have moved to Miami at the beginning of the of pandemic from California to mm-hmm. New York. It's yeah, flooded. It's true. like the new tech hub. It's all of that. But, you know, like there's got to be more. We got to think about the future and we got to do something now. I mean, I, I don't I don't know how I can add anything to that. It was like so well said. And I, I yeah, I, I hear everything you're saying. I think. I think I like, I think awards to me, recognition, like I, I'm pro restaurants. I love, I love seeing people being cheer, you know, achieving things for their, their hard work and accomplishments. But you're right. There is, there is a lot, there's a lot of work to be done. And it made me think a little bit about when you're, you're speaking about like the world's 50 best list, which some chefs their goal is to get on that list and some their goal is not to get on that they're, they're just they're just doing the work you know they're just they're and rightfully so and that's so, fine and it's and it's different people have different goals and 100%. and desires so um I think it's great to acknowledge yeah to give some recognition down in in Miami as someone who's from Miami over the years like <laughs> the dining scene for a big city was not as there weren't as many I don't know restaurants on my list let's say put it that <laughs> way back in the day and I feel they've upped their game and there's a lot of great talent down there mm-hmm. and amazing restaurants yeah and so it's nice to see I think it's nice to see um them being acknowledged but yeah I think there's always like yeah. some nothing's nothing's perfect yes yeah. you'd say with awards um right you know it's the same thing you know James Beard we we could say that like they absolutely made a, a major shift in like their outlook. And, and you know, years yes. ago there was they were not doing <laughs> right by the many chefs that were not being recognized. And they made, you know, an incredible shift. And even this year's award ceremony, which I watched from my home, it was amazing to see the you know, the amount of talent, the amount of folks that you probably weren't would not have been recognized five, ten years ago, you know, and here we are and You've been doing this for, for way longer than, than that. And you should have received this maybe, you know, 10, 15 yeah. years before that. But, you know, it's, it's you know, and, and I know someone would probably maybe come back and say, well, you can't expect all these organizations to make the change, like make big changes. It has to start within your own restaurant. Yes, this is true. But there's also, you know, a responsibility that I mm-hmm. think, you know, we, we have with these huge organizations like, you know, our, we are all, you know, uh, skating on like this very thin ice of like, dude, are we going to make it this one? I mean, from Canada to, to, to the States, like, you know, I wasn't here in the middle, but I know I shut my restaurant at the beginning of the pandemic and I, you know, I shut like everyone and then we thought we were coming back and then there were other things that were happening. So I firsthand understand, like, don't tell me that, like, you know, we are not, you know, that, we as a, as as a restaurant can't work and build together because it was my community of other chefs and other restaurateurs that were like, "Yo, what do you need? Like, your your team needs hiring. Okay, bring them over. I think I have some takeout. You know, can, yeah. Let me let me take off all that that food off your hand. Let me take those takeout containers. You know. So there's you know there is an incredible thing that happens when you can actually see the volumes when you reach outside when you reach within your community. And you tap into that into that network of, of of support, and know that that network and support is genuine, genuine, and it's real and it's honest. So, that's my feeling on the Michelin. But go Miami! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a hater of Miami. Trust, like, do not like get it twisted. I love that city. No, but I no no no. Everything Michelin. Every, everything okay. you said makes sense, at least to me. It makes perfect sense to me. And I just got back from covering the James Beard Awards. I was on the red carpet. I did tons of interviews. It was fantastic. Yay! And then I did interviews with 
a bunch of the winners during the show. And it was really wonderful to be there and to see everyone come together. And it was, it was really, it was special. And then I'll say I had a crazy week because I flew to Aspen to go to the Food and Wine, Wine Classic. And when, when everything with the, what you've been talking about, I have to report and say, like I attended some of the, the trade program and these conversations are happening and people are talking about things that you're talking about. And so I think we are seeing change in the industry and you guys can stay tuned because I will be pulling, I did a bunch of interviews in Aspen too. I will be pulling all of that content into an upcoming show. I feel very honored that I was there and able to talk with so many amazing chefs and restaurateurs and just, I, I mean, it's why I do this podcast. I just love being a part of the industry. So it was really fantastic. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, like the conference that you and I were going to be a part of, you know, conversations the same. They mm -hmm. were happening there. And you can hear from these restaurateurs that like, listen, we own, we have two restaurants and within our, in within our city center, within our epicenter is where we're bringing about change. And it was just so gratifying to hear that like, yeah, like that's where it does start, but like it, it can bloom out when we actually are, you know, we have the platform, we have the opportunity to talk about it and people are listening and people are more willing. And it's not just like, people are not accepting what we had been accepting before. And I think that's a product of like, yo, people are like, no more, no more. Yeah. Change needs to like come. Like we see gentrification throughout major cities, yeah. like, and you have to accept that change is coming. But with, you know, with every shift and change also comes a little pushback. And so I think that, I, I think we're all ready for a little bit of no more pushback. Like, like we need to change yeah. this stuff here. Like too much is 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 broken that has been fundamentally broken in this industry that I think will give us some insight into what is the future, future, future of food. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. And, and also I'll say from the Beard Awards, I attended the Media Awards and the Leadership Awards and all of that, there was big change happening yep. and big congratulations to everyone that was involved, acknowledged, like it's just, it was very much a feel good weekend and week and again really great to be a part of it awesome so. awesome cool okay so it's time for my solo dining experience so this is fun because i'm flashing back a little bit okay based on a little bit of the theme of this show so my solo dining experience this week is at cool vibes bar and jerk center <laughs> here's the rundown West End Road, across from Tenzing Pen Resort in Negril, Jamaica. All right. The concept, the best Jamaican jerk serving chicken, pork, pepper, shrimp, goat, curry, lobster, fish, and more. The chef and owner, I didn't track that down online when I looked, so I'm not <laughs> sure, but I think it's, I feel like it's probably like a family-run place. Um, why'd I go? Well, I happen to be in the right place at the right time. My experience. So this, in December in 2019, pre-pandemic, um, I took a little solo trip to Jamaica, and I stayed at the Rock House Hotel and Spa in Negril, which is fantastic. It's a really great, great hotel um, and resort that I knew about from the industry, actually, because I've seen a lot of uh, industry friends have gone down there. Um, so I was staying there. And nearby this hotel um, was a place called Rick's Cafe, which is a, a famous venue that's been around since 1974. And I, I knew it was going to be touristy, but I was like, oh, I'm so close. I'm going to go down, check it out. So I go down. It's very touristy. People, they have cliff diving off, off this bar restaurant that some people do. And there were drinks and music. And I actually got a little um, bite. I got the Jamaican beef patties when I was there just to try something. So anyways, I decided to leave and I decided I was going to walk back to my hotel and I'm walking and a rainstorm is like kicking in. <laughs> and I happened to be walking right then. I was right by cool vibes <laughs> and it looked really cool. And they were, the barbecue was going and there were some people just sitting outside cool at vibes. tables and it had cool <laughs> vibes. And so I was like, I'm going to stop here, you know, perfect to escape from the rain. And, um, and yeah, so, so that's how I ended up there. Um, 
And what did I get? Well, I got the half jerk chicken with rice and vegetables. I got plantains and a water. My take was fabulous. It was like a big plate of, of delicious jerk chicken with the jerk sauce. And it was like a dirty rice with some red beans and some greens and, and uh, the side. Of, I just got the plantains because I love plantains. Um, it was just great roadside eats. Yes. The ambiance, it's an outdoor shack. It's very casual. It's like like colorful spray painted signage and then picnic tables basically, but it's covered um, in yeah. like a front yard. Yeah. Uh, perfect for, I'd say, a casual meal with friends or stopping in solo. Interesting tidbit, Cool Vibes was established in 2016. Apparently they have live music on Fridays. Personal fun fact, so I did not jump off the cliff at Rick's. However, back, back at Rock House, <laughs> just so you guys know, they do have a bridge over the water. And yes, I did jump off the bridge. Good. So I got my kind of cliff, <laughs> cliff jumping in. Um, the cost of this meal, I think it was about 12 or 13 US dollars based on what I found online in my memory. Um, <laughs> it's a good value. When I go back, yes, their website is realnagrill.com. Amazing. I was like, there you go. Yeah. Some Jamaican, Jamaican eats. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's like, for me, what makes, you know, any, any, any like place in the Caribbean so special and really any place in the Caribbean, you know, Central America, South America, like those roadside stops, those mm -hmm. kind of like pull up and like grab something and keep it going. The personal taste the flavors the the love the passion because whoever was cooking that day cooks from the heart it cooks and it's something that we stay, say in Jamaica you cook with good hand and that really means that you touch with love you touch with joy you touch with intention and you cook with good hand and that kind of just keeps giving and my, my Trini friend, um, Anushka, you know, used to say that to me. And it's something that I used to, you know, I, I kind of keep saying now is that always cook with good hand. Because whether you're at a roadside little diner or if you're in a Michelin star restaurant in Miami, if you come in cooking with good hand, everyone is going to taste that. And you taste that in the flavor. Mm -hmm. And the benefit of having Cool Vibes on the way between Rock House and it's <laughs> Ricks, just like, it's yeah. per and Rick's, it's like, it's a perfect place for them because they get to experience like the, the, the spillover of everybody on their way. They're mm -hmm. praying for probably some Rand to come like, look, Rand, come, come sit, come eat. And all of that to me, I think is what makes Jamaica so special is that you literally can find like that on any winding street on the island and in yeah. the country and you're going to hear someone's story and that person's story is probably going to say that my grandmother taught me how to cook or my grandfather and I've been cooking my whole life and this has been my spot and I was here first before these two places popped up but I'm benefiting from the you know the love and the joy of what I do most and was just making good food with my good hand ah I love I'm not, I can't even can't even try to 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 say that the way you say that I'm just gonna leave it there. But it's beautiful and and yes, I want to go back. Actually, I want to get like the lobster. I want to like yes. go for it and you know see what else these guys can do. Um, but yeah, it was special and it was, as I said, it was in the right place at the right time. All right, all right. I might have to make a trip. I'm hoping to go to Jamaica sometime next year for sure to bring the book and to be able to share yeah. a bit of my story there yeah 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 I'd like to go back it's an easy trip and people are yeah. so nice I'll let you yeah. know when I'm on my way all Come right enjoy cool, me. Cool. <laughs> okay so it's time for the final question my next guest is Gail Simmons she is a food writer and cookbook author she's a permanent judge on Bravo's Emmy award-winning Emmy winning series Top Chef since she's been a judge since the inception in 2006, she's also been the co-host of a show called The Good Dish. And fun fact, Gail's from Toronto. I know. I was just because I'm okay. fellow Canadian. <laughs> Gail's from Toronto. I know. I know. Yeah. So, so I was thinking that earlier. But yeah, I love. I love purposefully, you know, or how I tied this together. Yeah, my yeah. Canadian connection. So, Suzanne, what would you like to ask Gail? Great question. I actually had to think about that one. And I think, you know, 
I would like to ask her, being that she's been in the U.S. for so many years now and has, you know, incredible success in an industry that, you know, she is a, a viable implementer. She's a change maker in the industry. Rock star, not, You know, yeah. not just, you know, <laughs> yeah, in just North America, the world, you know, what she's been able to accomplish and do is for any, you know, and I, I'm going to bring this back to Toronto, you know, for any up-and-coming cook, chef, food writer, journalist coming from any smaller city or from any place, what is what is the path that that they can imagine or what path should they begin to lay for themselves? Um, you know, like, I don't know what her path was to get to where she is, but how can we begin to lay those fundamental bricks down to build, you know, um, our pathway towards the, the thing that we love to do within this industry? And how do we, how, you know, how can we sustain that in, in some viable way? Um, I think that's, you know, hearing from someone in her position, I think it's important to hear from these mentors, you know, and, and to, you know, not put them on this pedestal, but to really be able to celebrate that road that she paved. And she might say whatever she's going to say, but I would be very gemmed to hear if her, you know, her path was in whatever it was. And I would like to, you know, hear that from her directly. Cool. I will find out. I know I, many years ago, she, she has a, she had a book come out. I think it's talking with my mouthful, if I'm getting that right, yeah. and, and wrote a bit about her history. And I remember I related a, a lot to sort of like the randomness of the job she had that led her from one to the other. Yeah. But yeah, like she's done, she's where she's, yeah, I lo- like I really, I can't wait to talk to her and find out how she did move through her career because she's really, she's really done yeah. incredibly and she's she's just a wonderful person yeah so um i'm so excited to have her on i've been talking to her for a while about coming on so oh, we're gonna cool. do it back here at the studio again amazing yeah just eating pizza maybe having a glass of wine yeah and looking out and forecasting for whatever you know wherever your conversation conversation takes you and i think that's what's so great about even today is like there was so much unknown of, you know, our first union of meeting and then to have us here now because you first told me about your show. And in my head, I was like, oh, man, I want to go to her show. Like, I love ra- <laughs> I love radio and especially talk radio, you know, podcasts, talk radio. I grew up. My dad is a huge talk radio, more kind of sports talk radio. But I grew up listening to it and to to see how podcasts have just like exploded and taken over. It's I love it. You know, I love the the crisp sound of your of our voices to the silent hum in the background of folks eating and just enjoying themselves. And I think it's all just part of the experience of and being in conversation. Yeah. And so thank you for being in conversation, having me in conversation today. It's been great. Thank you. <laughs> you're you're so wonderful and easy to talk to. We could go on and on yeah. for a couple hours here. Easy. Um, I think being in person. It is special. And so thank you for coming to Brooklyn. Ah, <laughs> you will never, ever have to thank me for being Brooklyn. Thank you, Brooklyn, for having me. Oh, <laughs> you're so sweet. I wish you much continued success wherever your career takes you with with books or cooking or advocacy and all the tremendous work you do. So I appreciate you. that. I really do. Thank you. Thank you all. Uh, awesome. <laughs> okay, my guest today has been Suzanne Barr. She's a chef, author, and social advocate. She lives in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and her book is My Aki Tree, A Chef's Memoir of Finding Home in the Kitchen. Her website is SuzanneBarrFood.com and Instagram, Suzanne underscore bar underscore food. Uh, did I get all of that right? We're actually going to change that. F- okay. I got my Instagram hacked, so I am ah. just cha- calling it now Suzanne Bar Food. Okay. Straight up, no more underscore. It's just Suzanne Bar Food. And Bar has two R's, so yeah. people know. Yeah. All right. Well, that's underscore is one of those things. It's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> underscore, underscore. But now it's just Suzanne Bar Food. Okay. Look me up. Yeah, cool. you guys will Easy. find me. Oh, I'm sorry that happened. Yeah, we're all good. We're all good. Everything happens for a reason. There you go. (laughs) 
Okay, social media. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my awesome engineer today, Armin. Thanks again to Suzanne. And thanks to our publicist, Jill. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. I'm going to be back on Wednesday, July 6th with Gail Simmons. Stay tuned for that. And um, stay safe and well. Have a wonderful 4th of July. And um, thank you, as always, for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Industry is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.